But as Christians, we have a responsibility to love just like Jesus did, to love as the Father did in this parable, not only in the story, but how he still loves today. We have a responsibility. I carry that weight. And I think it's actually been cool for me to see because I've seen a lot of you rise to the occasion and carry that same weight as well. A lot of you have started to realize there's people among you that, that are lost, that are hurting, and you, you feel that weight that they're lost and you know that you're found and you want them to be saved by Jesus as well. I've, I'm proud of you guys in that. That's been, ble- that's been a blessing to see. And I'm excited about it. Welcome back to the PC Youth Pod. This is our final message from our homecoming series, looking at the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15. We encourage you to go back and listen if you missed any of these messages, and we hope they have challenged and encouraged you. Grab your Bible and something to write with as we hear from Pastor Spencer. How many of you know what tonight is? Tonight is the last installment, the last part, whatever you want to say, of our sermon series, Homecoming, part four. The last three weeks, we've talked about all the different, different perspectives that we can explore during this story. Um, how many of you think that you've been touched during the past few weeks if you've been here? I believe God's been moving in power, and he's, he's moving uniquely to each and every single one of us, and I believe he's not done just because it's the last night. I'm excited to dive into it. Tonight's going to be, um, it's going to be family night. Can you guys put your head around that? It's going to be family night. It's not going to be high pressure. It's not going to be um, super deep. I mean, I'm believing God's going to convict because his word is powerful. Um, but ultimately, I just want you guys to, to think about the, the concept of family as we dive in. Um, I always start out with the why or the issue of where we're going, um, what God's word is going to say. Um, so I'm just going to get in right, right into it tonight. The why, the issue that, that I feel like we experience and what I feel like God's word is going to speak to tonight is that loving others um, and viewing others the way Jesus does is easier said than done. I would agree with that. I don't know if you would. But loving others the way Jesus does is easier said than done. God says in his word that we are called into the world. And as Christians, I think we can all agree that that is that is true because the Bible says so. In Mark chapter 16, it says, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to every single person. So I don't think there's much room for debate. If you believe that the Bible is true and it's alive, then we all agree on that statement. We're all called into the world as believers. As non-believers, if you're new to the PC youth tonight, if this is your first time and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I believe God has something for you. He's going to speak to you in a fresh way. And I'm excited for what he's going to do. So if we take a look at that scripture early on, I feel like, okay, that's easy to say. We're, all, we're called to all the world. We're called to love everybody. Um, but if we're being honest, we're all humans. And what I feel like the tension can arise in that statement, it arises where it says because we're called to actually all of the world. It can be easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm good with being called a part of the world. I'm good with telling Jesus, telling people about Jesus to some people, not all. It's hard for us to, to grasp that phrase all because that means we have to go into messy situations, have uncomfortable sit- conversations, and, and to talk to people and show love to people that may not even deserve it. Loving all aspects of the world can be easy. There are people that we will interact with every single day who don't know the love of Christ. That's a sad truth. A lot of us in here have the privilege to know what, what Jesus did, what he did for us, and how he loves us. But the sad truth is, and this is heavy on my heart every single day, that there's still people out in this world, there's still people in your schools 
that don't know who Jesus, did, who Jesus is and what he did for you. And so I take that very, I take responsibility in that. I hope you guys do too. For those, I'm talking to Christians in here. I hope you take, you feel the weight of that. Feel the weight of people that don't know what, what Jesus has done yet because he died for us to save us from all our sins and death. So I'm just going to start tonight with praying. Dear Lord, thank you for this amazing evening. Thank you for all these amazing students that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every single one of their lives. God, I believe tonight that we're all here for a purpose. You don't have us here by accident if this is our first time. If this is our hundredth time, you don't have us here by accident. God, I believe that tonight you're going to speak to each and every single one of us in a new way, in a fresh way. God, we believe here at this church that your word is alive. So each and every single time that it is opened, it can speak to each and every single one of us in a very unique way that's going to be applicable to what we're going through. Thank you for allowing us to gather here. We're praying in advance. The in and out is going to be amazing and bless that food to our bodies. Help us have an amazing night. Amen. Amen. I'm pumped for in and out. I was thinking about it all day. Okay. Tonight, like I said, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty simple. We got pretty deep the past few weeks. We really dived into what, what this scripture in the prodigal son talks about and how these different perspectives can be unfolded. But tonight's going to be pretty simple. It's going to be basic. But like I said, just because it's basic doesn't mean God isn't going to move and God's not going to move in power tonight. He's still going to challenge us. I believe that. That was my prayer this afternoon as I was preparing and praying for each and every single one of us, every one of you, that God's going to challenge us as we leave this place tonight. So we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son today. I have another um, passage that I'm going to dive into later on, but right now let's talk about the story of the prodigal son. Um, for, those, for those of us that were here the past few weeks, we know that the, the, the father in this story represents God in an analogy type form. The father represents God the father. So for all of us Christians, we, we know that the story unfolds as, I'll read it here in a bit, but the story unfolds and it really shows the way that the father loves the son. And so for all of us Christians, that's our desire. That's our desire to love just like he did because we know we're not called to mediocrity. We're, I hope that's a word mediocrity. I think that's a word. We're not called to being average. We're called to loving every single person the way God does. So tonight we're going to talk about how important it is to do just that. So let's dive into the word. Who has their Bible tonight? It grows every week. I'm so, whoever has their Bible, you're going to heaven first. I'm just kidding. That was not biblical, actually. I feel check in saying that. That was not biblical. But thank you to everyone who bought their Bible. Jesus is telling this parable to those religious elite people in Israel. This is really important. I don't want you to miss this. Sorry that I said that. That was not good. There was a, a group of religious elite leaders in Israel, and Jesus was on his, on his way to Israel, and he was ministering to people, and he was speaking and interacting with people that are from all walks of life. He's having dinner with sinners. He's, he's healing lepers, and so he's doing this all in his ministry on his way to Israel. And he gets to Israel, and the religious leaders in Israel are really mad at him. They're like, Jesus, if you're actually the Son of God, why are you hanging out with all these people that are messed up? Why are you, hanging, why are you healing lepers? Why are you having dinner with prostitutes? Why, why are you doing this? That's not okay. So the reason Jesus tells this parable in Luke is to address the way that those religious leaders are questioning him. This is really important for us to understand. Jesus' sole purpose in telling them was to show that we are called to love all people, no matter what they're walking through and what their journey looks like. I would have loved, so Jesus tells this parable, we're going to read it, but I just want to preface, I would have loved to see what the religious leader's face was, all of them in that room, 
at that dinner as Jesus told him this. So turn to Luke chapter 15. For those of you that have your Bibles, you're amazing. For those of you that don't, you can get it on your phone. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We're going to read it quickly because we read it every other week, but it's still very important, and God's going to move in power through this scripture. NLT translation, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told the religious leaders this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his son's wealth between his sons. Every time I read that, that shocks me. Like, I could never imagine going to my dad and saying, hey, I want some of your money, and then him giving it to me. Like, that blows my mind every time. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him a thing. When he finally became, came to his senses, he said to himself, the hired servants at home even have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant so I can eat. So he returned home to his father, and this is where it gets awesome. This is where we're going to dive into tonight. While he was still a long way off, the prodigal son's father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This is not the, the average response. The, the response would have been, oh, there's my son that's betrayed me. But he instead went and hugged him and kissed him. His, he said to his, son, his son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said, quick, bring the finest robe in the, in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and a sandals for his feet. Kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Remember, they were in a famine, so a fattened calf would probably be very valuable. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. The rest of the story talks about how the older son reacts. But let's not, let's not downplay the significance of this part of the story. We passed over it a few times the past few weeks. But that's pretty crazy. Like that reaction that the father made to seeing his son is pretty, pretty out of ordinary what we would have expected to see. He went to drastic measures to welcome his son home. He welcomed him in love and care and compassion and forgiveness. He didn't say, son, you did all these things to me. You took my money. Okay, actually, now we address that. You can have the rope. He, the son said, I don't deserve to be your son. And he still welcomed him and threw a party for him like Let's not forget that as we dive in tonight. There are two aspects of this story that we need to focus on, and we're going to do so tonight. The first point I want to make is that just like the father in this story loved his son, God loves you and me more than we could ever imagine, and we didn't even deserve it. Don't miss this. The son came home expecting to work for his dad. He didn't deserve anything from his dad, let alone a job. But his son, the son came home and the father welcomed him and loved him in compassion. He sacrificed a fattened calf to still make sure he could eat. He gave him a robe, a ring, probably a lot of valuable things. He didn't deserve any of that. And honestly, this is just the sad truth. You and I didn't deserve to be loved by God either. By nature, you and I and every single person on this earth are sinners and we are fallen people and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. I think that can be easy to forget, especially for those that have been in the church a long time. We have all fallen short. Not just the people 
that sing worship, not just the person talking. We have all fallen short. There's no elevation. God doesn't categorize people by the things they do. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and God loves each and every single one of us so, so much. The second thing, and this is where we're going to go, is because, God, because of that love that God offers us, God calls us to love everybody else in that same exact way. And I'm going to go here, even if they don't deserve it. The person that rubs you so wrong at school, the person that you just cannot handle, if God loved you enough to save you, he still loves them, so we're supposed to love them too. That's biblical. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. That's in the Bible, and we're going to read it in 1 John later. Jesus walked in his ministry years ago, like I told you. He, he was talking to these religious leaders, and I really wish I could have seen their reaction to that parable. But he's in his ministry doing all these miraculous things, healing people and loving on people, and just, he's Jesus. He's amazing. And we should all strive to be like him every single day. But just as Jesus walked in his ministry years and years ago and then told this parable, the work of Jesus is not done when he died and rose again and ascended into heaven. The work of Jesus is still being done today. And the way that's done is his ministry continues through you and I. Did you know that? When God died on that cross, when Jesus died on that cross, rose again three days later and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came to be Jesus in spirit form. That's a weird concept. I know that might not make sense, but Jesus is still here on this earth and through the form of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit equips you and I to love and to walk and to, to be just like as Jesus as much as we can. We have a responsibility to love as Jesus did. And I want to get this clear. For, for most of my message tonight, I'm going to be talking to believers. I'm going to be talking to those that wouldn't consider themselves Christians. If you're not a Christian in this place, I'm happy you're here. I say that every week to those that aren't. We are a youth group here when anybody can come, no matter what you're struggling with. So if you are here and you feel like, oh, that guy has nothing to say to me, I'm glad you're here because I believe God's going to speak to you tonight. But as Christians, we have a responsibility to love just like Jesus did, to love as the Father did in this parable, not only in the story, but how he still loves today. We have a responsibility. I carry that weight and I think it's actually been cool for me to see because I've seen a lot of you rise to the occasion and carry that same weight as well. A lot of you have started to realize there's people among you that, that are lost, that are hurting, and you, you feel that weight that they're lost and you know that you're found and you want them to be saved by Jesus as well. I've, I'm proud of you guys in that. That's been, that's been a blessing to see and I'm excited about it. So this might feel like a big task. You might say, okay, I have this big responsibility. I want, well, I want to love just as Jesus did, but I don't know how. Like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit will equip you and I to be able to love in that exact same way. The same way that the Father radically loved his child in this parable, the Holy Spirit will equip you and I to do that to those around us. God's love is passionate and comforting. It's welcoming and caring. So this is, I already alluded to it earlier. Even if people around us do not deserve it, we should still treat them with love and compassion and care. That's a big pill to swallow. That's big because I'm up here with you. There's a lot of people where my, my human nature was not, would not want to love that person. But we looked at Scripture, and we're going to look at more. It says in Scripture that we are called to love that person still because Jesus did. We can't, it can be easy for us to say, okay, that person's going to love. Jesus will love that person, so it's not necessarily my job. That's a big statement to make because we cannot separate the way Jesus loves from the way we love. 
if we're striving to be in cohesion with him, we should be loving the exact same way. Amen? Do you agree with that? I know it's big. I know it's, I know it's hard to hear. I remember when I first heard that and I had to be, when I had people in my life that were pouring into me and saying, you still need to love that person. You still need to, to get along with them. And actually, if I'm being honest, a lot, of, a lot of those conversations came from my parents talking to me about my brothers when we were young. You still need to love them. You may not get along now. And that goes across the board, not even just family, not even just people in school. That, comes, that applies to people that you meet for the first time. And if they rub you the wrong way, the, the temptation can be to like, okay, I'm writing that person off. But God still calls us to embrace them and to love them. God calls us to those that we wouldn't ever think of interacting with by ourselves. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of situations where I'm going about my day and I see a person, I'm like, oh, there's a person, and God says, go talk to that person. I'm like, what? That's not me just making random thoughts in my head because if I'm being honest, my nature wouldn't want to go talk to that person. My, na- my human nature wouldn't want to go out of my way to love that person and tell them that Jesus loves them. That's the Holy Spirit talking to me in a still, small voice, equipping me to go. The question is, am I going to be obedient? Are you going to be obedient to do the same? In this parable in Luke, the people around the Father and the people today in this world, if it was happening today, they wouldn't have encouraged, I mean, more than likely, I'm not going to assume, but more than likely, the vast majority of people around and that were close to the Father, they wouldn't have encouraged him to love the Son and welcome him home. That's just sad. But they wouldn't encourage him to love the prodigal son, especially to the degree that he did. But the father did anyways, despite what people around him were saying. We didn't deserve to have eternal life in Jesus. We, and God knew it from the beginning. He, from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, he knew that we didn't deserve. But God loved us, you and I, so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to die. That's, that's crazy to me. But God's love is crazy because it doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective. From an earthly rationale, it doesn't make sense. That's why it's so fierce and so passionate and, and so, so real. The father in this story didn't see through the eyes of the world, so we shouldn't either. We shouldn't see those around us through the lens of what they've done wrong or how they've affected us or how, they've, how they act or what they look like. It should be our goal to see each other through the eyes of the Father each and every single day. That should be our goal. That should be a challenge that we feel a responsibility. So you might say to me, Spencer, I've tried. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I've tried to love and care for hurting people to the best of my ability. I've done all the right things. I've said all the right things to them, but they just keep hurting me in return. That's a real statement. And I know... A lot of you might be thinking that, or you might say, Spencer, you have no idea how, how wronged I've been by people. You have no idea how wronged I've been. Or there's some of you in here that are going to say, Spencer, I, I don't know really, I don't necessarily know who Jesus is or what this God thing is all about, but I promise you, he doesn't love me like this story is talking about. I have something to say to all three of those things. Hurting people to the first one. If you've tried to love on people and you've done everything you can and they're still hurting you in return, there's a statement that says hurting people hurt people. You've probably heard it before, but odds are the people that are hurting you or acting out and doing all these things, if you know they don't know Jesus, 
they're hurting. So we can't be surprised by the fact that they're going to say something that's going to irk us or, or steer us the wrong way or annoy us a little bit. We are still called to, to love them, but it's also not our job to, to judge them or to fix their sin. It's not our job to, to find them in their hurt and tell them how to fix it. That's God's job. It's our job to love them compassionately and build them up and be there for them even when we don't want to be. And for the person that says, oh, God doesn't love me, I promise. Like, I've done everything I can. This doesn't make sense to me. How can God meet me where I'm at? This story tells it all. And I promise you, if you're here and you're like, you made this up, this word, this book, I'm reading out of it on my iPad, but this book has the same story in it. And God's word is real and it's alive and it's always going to be and it always has been. So just as the father in this story loved his son enough to welcome him when he didn't deserve it, when you feel like you don't deserve God's love, you still, God still loves you. So I think there's a challenge for each and every single one of us tonight. There's a challenge. We need to understand the weight of those that don't know Jesus yet. I think it took a long time for me to realize that I have a pretty, I'm very blessed in the fact that I grew up with a strong family that pursued Jesus and pushed me to Jesus. And for a lot of you in here, that's your story. For some of you in here, that's, or maybe a lot of you too, you met Jesus when he met you at rock bottom and now you're chasing after him and on fire for him. But wherever we're at on this whole spectrum, it took me a long time for, to realize that there's still people that have not even heard who Jesus is yet. They may have heard his name because he's popular. People know about him, and, and he came to save this earth, but you, but they, but you may not know who he, who he actually is. And so we need to feel the weight of those people. Imagine what it would be like. I'm talking to Christians in here. Imagine what it would be like if you didn't know who Jesus was. Like for all of the things that he's done for you, for you all the things he's done for me, it would be pretty brutal living a life without him. And there's people out there that are trying to live without him. I heard a, a podcast the other day, and Corey was with me, so correct me if I'm wrong. God can do more in five minutes, if you allow him, than you can do in five years on your own strength. God, I'll say it again. God can do more with five minutes of your time, if you give it to him, than you can do on your own in five years on your own strength. Think about the amount of people in this world that are trying to do life on their own strength. There's still people out there. So we need to feel the weight of that. I feel the weight of all of, for all of you, for, for the friends that you bring that, that may not know Jesus. I feel that because at one point that was me and at one point that was you. Do you remember the moment when you said yes to Jesus? Before you said yes, probably looks a lot different than, than you do now. God welcomes us. He loves us and calls us to love his people too. So we're going to read um, a passage out of 1 John where John tells us again how important it is to be obedient to the calling of loving others. I'm going to flip to it because it's going to be easier that way. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. I think this is a perfect, perfect example and instruction on how to do this properly. It's literally titled, Loving One Another. Starting in verse 7 in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. There again, you see that it's proven that God is a loving Father. God, anyone who know, loves 
sorry, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. For some of you, this is the first time you're hearing this. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Isn't that cool? Think about that concept. You and, you and none of us on earth have actually seen God. Unless we die and go to heaven with him, then you see him. But if we're alive on earth, we've never seen him. But you can see God being expressed through somebody by the way they, they get closer to him and by the way they love like him. That's so cool to me. Don't you want to strive to be like that every single day to when you interact with someone new? They say, I may not know who Jesus is, but I see him in you. That's so cool to me, and that's what John is telling us to do. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have, given, have God living in them, and they live in God. Think about that. For all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in him, all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. This is important. Don't miss this. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. That's a powerful passage. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God, whom we cannot see? Think about that. That's like a riddle kind of. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. That's a lot right there. But each and every single word exactly correlates to what we're talking about tonight. I don't want you to miss this part. I'm going to go back up. It says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. It can feel scary, like, Spencer, I'm doing my best to, to love my neighbor. I'm doing, best to, to, I'm doing my best to bring people here to, for them to meet Jesus. But I feel like I'm getting worn out. The more we dive into relationship with God, the more we love God, the more we are equipped, like this passage says, the more we are equipped to love our neighbors. That's so awesome, and it's simple. Like, that's not complicated. It doesn't say we have to do this, this, and this, and this, and then we'll be ready to go love people. It says, love God first, and then you'll be ready to love others, because Jesus will be flowing through you. Don't you want to grow your church family? Don't you want to grow, maybe it's for some of you, your immediate family, but don't you want to ultimately grow your, your, your family in Christ? The PC youth family, wouldn't you just love for more and more people to flow in these doors and meet Jesus. 
First John chapter four tells us how to do that. Know God first and you will exude love in your life. This is something I felt important and I wanted to share tonight. God's family, like I said, if we want our family to grow, we need to understand that God's family is diverse. God's family is very diverse. He created all of us in perfect, with perfect eyes, with perfect creation. He, he made us perfect. So the, that means we need to love people that don't look like us. We need to love those who don't talk like us, love those that don't act like us. If we love people and just go after people that look exactly like who we are, we're just making replications of ourselves. If God's family is diverse, we should want to be in contact with, we, want to, we should want to be in community with people that have, we have nothing in common with. I spent for so long, so many years of my life only being with people that I could interact with and talk with so many things about. I'm, I'm, I've always been upset about that because I wish I would have spent my time surrounding myself with people that could challenge me in areas that I don't know or pushing me to things that I've never thought about. God's family is diverse, so we should continue to strive being in community with those that, yes, do look like us and act like us, but also those that don't. In heaven, this is important. In heaven, I believe that there's going to be no social status. There will be no segregation. There will be no judgment. There will be no pride. Any sin that you can think of, there will be none of it in heaven. So why do we see people on earth through those lenses? That's a question. If heaven has no social status, let's just say, then why do we look at this person at our school and says, ah, they just do whatever. They're not at the same social level as me. Heaven is going to have no social circles. It's not going to have any social climbers. There's going to be no social levels. So we shouldn't prohibit or limit ourselves from reaching people because they are in a different social circle than us. That's just one example. There's going to be no segregation and the list goes on. There's going, to be no, there's going to be no judgment. There's going to be no pride. Why would, in our right mind as Christians, would we approach someone and say, oh, you've done this, this, and this, so it's going to prohibit me from loving you? Judgment is not our job. And I'm talking to myself. Judgment is not my job. It is not my job to have you guys walk in here and for me to judge you of all the things you've done. We say it over and over as a leadership team here at PC Youth. You can come as you are. There's going to be no judgment here because it's not my job. It's not the leader's job to judge you of the things that you're walking through. We believe that, that God is going to meet you where you're at and he's going to encounter you and he's going to speak to you in a new way. But that's not my job. Please hear me on that. I feel like there's some of you in here that really need to hear this. I'm not, un, I'm not unaware of the fact that we have students that are struggling with homosexuality. I'm not unaware of the fact that we have students that struggle with porn. I'm not unaware of all these things. Whatever your thing is, I'm not, un I'm not by any circumstance oblivious to that. But you're still welcome here. Don't let people tell you otherwise. If you've had a bad interaction because you felt like you've been judged for something that you're walking through, just know that that's not that person's job to do. God still loves you the exact same way. But also, that's not an excuse to still live that same in that same lifestyle. Just because it's not our neighbor's job to judge, that doesn't mean that one day God won't. There will come a day when Jesus will come back and we will be responsible for holding an account of every sin that we've committed. So strive to be better, but you're welcome here with, wherever you're, with whatever you're facing. Because we believe, this is my heart and I know this is our leader's hearts, we believe that God's going to meet you where you are. 
Whether you've been here for the first time or you've been here for, for 10 years, God's going to speak to us all in a new way. This is the, my last point tonight. The more we understand, worship team, can you come? The more we understand the love that God has for us, the more equipped we are to love others effectively. Like I said, tonight, it wasn't going to be very deep theology. The, theology what in the world? Theology. Tonight wasn't going to be like deep in your face, emotional. Tonight's very simple. Tonight's very surface level. It's very biblically founded. The more we love God, the more we dive into relationship with him, the more we get into his word, the more that we're in prayer, the more that we are in communication and relationship with God, the more we are equipped by the Holy Spirit to love others effectively. So if our goal is to to love just as Jesus did, like we've been talking about, then it is our responsibility, it's our duty to be in relationship with God. Because by our own strength, we're not going to love effectively. We may love, but there might be hints of what the world would say love is. There might be hints of of what culture would say love is. I want to love in a biblical, true, God-centered way of loving. And I hope you all do too. I, I, for those of you that know, I went to George Fox University and I played football. And the football coach there, he'll always be, whether he knows it or not, he'll always be a man that, that spoke heavily into my life. Even if it wasn't all that always one-on-one or as a group, he always had very, very, very biblical true things to say and very biblically wise things to say. And he'll forever impact the way that I view Christianity and the way I view the Lord. But he, he said this so many times and I'll never forget it. He was, one, he was very, very key on the way we re- represent the Lord. He wasn't under any impression that every person on that 130-foot player football team was, was a believer but no matter where we were, he was very, very key on the way that we go about our day and the way we represent ourselves and the way we interact with others. And he said this so many times, and I'll never forget it. And I think this is a really awesome, even first step of a way to love like Jesus did. When you guys go about your days, when you go about, well, I'll just tell you what he said first. He said, as you are walking on this George Fox campus, and he said this so many times, as you are walking on this George Fox campus, People know who you are. People know that you're a football player and they know that the stereotypes that come with that. And he said, so you will never understand the power of even a smile that can, that can have on somebody else. A smile can change somebody's day. That's what he said. So this is what I wanna to say to you tonight. As Christians, when you go about your day, people know who you are. People know what you believe in and they know what you stand for. But they also know, and the sad truth is, they know that the church and Christians are stereotypically very judgmental and hypocritical. So they see you, and for someone that doesn't know Jesus, that's probably what they think. I'm just being real. When they see you and they know you're a Christian and they're not, they probably see judgment, hypocrisy, selfishness, pride. They see all these things that we would hope to be are not true. Maybe there's some hints of those in us, but we would hope that a lot of that is not true. So what a better, better opportunity to smile at them. You will never know the power of, of a simple smile to a person. A, a smile can change somebody's day for the rest of their day. You don't know what that person in your math class is walking through. 
They might be on the, bre- on the brink of ending it. And if you're going out of your way to, to interact with them, that can change the course of their day, maybe the course of their life. So never, please, please hear me, never underestimate the power you have if you are walking with Jesus. You have a responsibility to love like he did because whether you know it or not, people are watching you. And if, if you're living as a Christian, you, you claim yourself a Christian and you're not living like it, people are gonna notice and they're gonna remember. And this was really hard for me to swallow when I was told this. But what a better opportunity to prove people wrong. As a Christian, what if you went out of your way to, lo- to love and to treat that person in your math class with compassion, even when they don't deserve it? They'll remember that. So I'm, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me tonight. And I have two questions that I wanna ask of you. The first is this, I feel very heavily, I feel very strongly right now that there's some people in here that have never experienced the love of the Father like we've just talked about in these stories. I believe there's people in here that, that haven't accepted Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And they're hearing about these things. Wow, how can the, how can the Father love their son like that when, when all those things were done? He was living so terribly and the Father still loved him. I wanna know more about that. I believe there's a few of you in here that, that you, if you accept Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, he is gonna encounter you and meet you in a new way and you're gonna be changed forever. So if that's you, we don't have to raise hands or look around or do any of this, but if you wanna say yes to the Lord tonight, we're gonna say a prayer in just a, in just a second, but say yes to the Lord on your own. It doesn't matter what the people around you think. That decision, that decision to say yes to Jesus is one that's gonna give you eternity. And that's between you and the Lord. That's nobody else's business. So I wanna say the sinner's prayer together. If that's you tonight, we're gonna to say all together so you don't feel left out. But if you wanna say yes to Jesus tonight and experience the radical passionate love that God offers you, say this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for meeting me where I'm at. Thank you for loving me even when I don't deserve it. I believe you're the son of God and I accept you into my heart tonight. I allow you to lead me and direct me. And I'll follow you the rest of my days of my life. stay caught up with everything happening, check us out at peopleschurch.com as well as on Instagram at PCYouthSalem.